You gotta have a podcast. 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 Hey everyone, welcome to You Gotta Have a Podcast. I'm Angela Palladino. Uh, you know, as we move from 2020 into 2021, in the first few weeks of 2021, it's been an insane time, like truly bonkers. But one of the things that has been grounding me recently has been working on this podcast and having these conversations and then listening back to them. <laughs> uh, it really... It really has me sort of at least a little bit more in my body and less in my fucking anxiety and my Twitter feed, truly. It's been a blessing. So I just want to say thank you for all the support in the first episode. And and today we have the second episode. Can you believe it? We have now jumped with two feet into this endeavor of a series of episodes. <laughs> Oh, God. I don't know. You know what? There's been more than one. So it's a fucking series at this point, guys. That's the way numbers work. Today, I'm joined by one of the funniest and hardest working guys in the business, Dave Ebert. Ebert is a writer, actor, director, producer, and just like jack of all trades, master of all, who has made stuff for Netflix, NBC, CBS, MTV, TBS, True TV. Like, the man gets shit done. <laughs> We talk about the value of being flexible in order to go further with your dreams, taking creativity seriously, pivoting when like curveballs are thrown your way, and also how like you have to ask yourself, are you willing to be the cockroach? Like what's the one thing that's going to outlive us all after the nuclear blast? Cockroaches. Are you willing to be the cockroach of the industry? Got to ask yourself that. <laughs> Every single time I talk to Ebert about creativity and work and comedy, I just leave the conversation invigorated and motivated to fucking bust my ass and make something. And this conversation was no different. That's just the energy that Ebert gives out into the world. And to sit in that for an hour is truly fucking wonderful. Uh, and I hope that you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Dave Ebert. I don't know. It's been weird. Like this whole year, I feel like everyone's like kind of had to be like, what is other ways that I can do the things that I do that are not the normal ways that I do the things that I do? Do you feel that way? Uh, yeah, but it's working out very well. <laughs> here's, here's what I learned. Um, the thing I love doing is acting. And the thing people really don't need me to do is act. And <laughs> and because there's just there's enough of me. This is this, the room is full of guys like me. We don't need another one. The So by like letting it go completely in the pandemic and just not even pretending like I'm just like, I'm not an actor anymore. OK, fine, fine. Like, let's just say it that way. I'm not I'm not an actor anymore. Uh, I've opened myself up to much more creative work. Uh, much more like work, work, like paying work. Like I'm doing better now. I have been struggling for years. Like I had a good run with acting the first couple of years I did it professionally. And then like it was kind of like I'd get a like a nice big role once a year. <laughs> and now and I, I and as yeah. soon as 
And when the pandemic hit, I was like, well, my life's over. And I like I applied to be an Amazon truck delivery driver because I was like, I got to feed my family somehow. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I they offered me the job and they're like, you will get COVID. And I was like, uh, OK, I won't do it. Um, but then I, I don't know. I just moved right into creative work as a creative director and a writer and a director and have gone gig to gig nonstop since pandemic. Hit. You know, that is one of the reasons why, like, I when I was like planning out, you know, putting this podcast together and like thinking about this concept, you were like first on my like top of my mind because I just know that you are I, I feel I'm also kind of similar, but like you are in that mm-hmm. way that it's like you have so much creativity and so like you do, uh, you know, I've seen your drawings, like writing, acting, producing, directing, like all different sorts of things. And I feel like you're just like, I'm going to make it work and I'm going to cobble together like whatever it takes. That is, you should know, one thing that is very impressive. And at least for me, when I think of Davey Burt, it's like, that's the first thing I think of. It's like, make shit happen. I I think the same thing about you. Uh, Genuinely, like I, I, there's so many people that I feel like if they don't have somebody pull them along, that they won't make anything. And so they end up in these like symbiotic relationships where they're like, oh, but I need this production company for my idea or I need this guy. And then like production companies are like, well, I need talent that I can um, get their ideas. And if you're able to do both, like I never worry about you uh, like finding a gig or finding work because there's just a tenacity to be like, well, I'm I'm a a good worker, b flexible like in my skill set, like the, you you saying that you're learning uh, audio editing now, it just makes sense. You just would pass your time yeah. becoming more valuable in some way, because what else are you doing? But like it is it's I think that this year more than ever, like, I don't know, I've always felt like just being a freelancer and never wanting to like be a sort of nine to five person and wanting to like act or write or whatever I just kind of always had to be like if I'm going to do this and like have a life and not be destitute I need to be flexible (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so like I've like I'm wondering where did like when you were like 19 20 21 just starting like Mm -hmm. what did you did you just think like I'm gonna be on NBC like Thursday night lineup like what (laughs) were you always like acting all in or like, no. what was your what was your like first thought of like what your career would be like? Uh, well, uh, I, it was acting, but the bar was on the floor. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> I went to um, a state school. I went to SUNY Fredonia and I went for stage acting and and they had oh, yeah. trained us to be like, don't go to New York, don't go to L.A., learn how to do Renaissance fairs. Learn, learn. I guess it's realistic. Yeah, they were like, like, they're like, and if things go really well for you, you could end up at medieval times in New Jersey Uh, because that's consistent work. They also encouraged us to create theaters in small towns and communities. They're like, don't go to these big markets, go to smaller markets and create a local theater, Um, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, great in in theory. And, And so when I got out of college, I spent two years doing regional theater. Um trying to i don't know hone my craft or whatever but it's hard to hone your craft when mm-hmm. like you're getting paid a hundred dollars a week for 16 performances and having to work a full-time job in a coffee shop in the mornings and then performing at night i was like if i'm gonna yeah if i'm gonna struggle i might as well do it in new york 
(laughs) That's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I I just like, I know you weren't in Scranton, but I just feel like (laughs) I see you like trying to like start a a theater company in Scranton and like struggle it. Like that's something like that where it's just like, if I'm going to like, you know, be eating ramen every night, I might as well like feel cool about it rather than just be like surrounded by a drab (laughs) random town in somewhere America, you know? (laughs) That sounds to me almost like uh, the thing that like, at first, at least when you were in school, everyone told you to do was just like be realistic and don't like strive for like the crazy dream, which is kind of astounding to me from like an acting school perspective. I feel like I don't hear that story often from people. It was good. I, I actually loved the program I was in um, and I have love for it to this day. Uh, a lot of people were grumpy because they graduated and like they didn't train us for the real world or jobs. And I was like, and to this day, my position is that college isn't necessarily supposed to give you vocational training. It's academic. It rounds you out as a person and gives you special, you know, skill sets, which I carried into my work. And it's what made me <laughs> so like uh, in 2015, I did um, uh, Master of None with Aziz Ansari and um, we, we had to do the scene a bunch of times that we had and it was the end of the day and he was already grumpy because he had to work with kids and he doesn't like kids. And um, uh, and he, it's not that he doesn't like kids. It's that it, that day he didn't understand that children were not short adults. Uh, <laughs> <so> he, <laughs> just on that one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's just he's like, oh, you guys have to hit your marks. And I'm like, they're seven. Um, but uh but so we're shooting this scene at the end of the day and he pulls me aside after like a couple takes. He's like, are you trained? You're like really good. And I was like, yes. Who do you think they hire for your show? They're bringing in. <laughs> <laughs> that's who they're bringing in is people training. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that maybe that's a little bit of the mentality of a stand up who then finds themselves with an acting career. It's like, huh? What? People have training. <laughs> Which was I mean, as a director, thing. I'm always astounded by people. That have yeah. skill, like the skill set? Like sometimes I just like see like even friends of mine who like I know they're trained actors. Like I know they went to theater school, but like I, I often as a director hire my friends because I like to. And um, <laughs> and then I see them like do their thing and I'm like, shit, wow, you're really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I, I thought of a theater degree. I mean, I still think of a theater degree as um, something you do when you don't want to um, do homework in college. Um, and and then you're like, oh, wait, you actually have like this ability to understand pentameter and control your stage presence and do script analysis, all these things that, um, people that are good standups, they just do it like that are actors are just do instinctually. Like when, when instinct fails you, you have craft. I don't know if this is where this conversation is supposed to go, but (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, so like when you... When you first like got to New York, when you decided like, fuck it, I'm going to at least I'm, if I'm going to be poor, I'm going to be poor in the city. Like what were when you got here, did you have like that list in your mind? That's like, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to like, did you immediately like seek out UCB? Yeah. Like, Where did you start up? You yeah, know? Uh, I was I did improv in college uh, because because uh, I'm um, a white man and I'm funny and I can't sing. Uh, so the law <laughs> dictated I do it. Uh and UCB Torco came to my school and I was the guy they interviewed. Uh, and it was um, it was John Gabris, uh, Ben Rogers, Fran Gillespie and Adam Pally. And 
they ripped me apart. They destroyed me. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm watching the show and I'm smiling. And uh, my then girlfriend, now wife is like, hey, man, they're really they're really fucking you up. <laughs> and The like, smile like kind of faded on my face. And I was like, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to do what they do. And I'm going to crush them someday. <laughs> like, I'm going to I'm going to surpass them. Um, and so it took me two years. But then I did go to New York and I was like, yeah, UCB was like the first thing I wanted to do. However, I moved to New York with no money. So it took me about eight months before I had a job, had enough money mm-hmm. to pay for my first UCB class. Yeah. And like I felt like when I started at UCB, when you've like your first couple of like maybe you're 101, you're just like wide eyed, like trying to like listen to what everyone tells you to do. And I just like I remember like having the lit. I literally had a list called things you must do. And it was like start an indie team, <laughs> rehearse twice a week, do uh, do this many shows a week. And like, did do you like have any memories of like when you first got into like the first like undergraduate of UCB system or whatever, when you were just mm-hmm. starting to like do shows and audition and like fuck around with sketch and that like what 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 was your like things you must do list that people were telling you? Uh, um, I don't know if I listened to anything that people were telling me. I'm actually I, I'm like embarrassed at the way I was at that age because I was very aggressive about all of it. I was like, you guys don't take this seriously. You guys have to take it seriously because it's your life. This is your career. This is your blah, blah, blah. Like all these kids are coming here to screw around and have fun. And I'm here to win it. it and part of that was because like, so I, I grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. um, like in a straight up cult, like a Christian cult. And like the it just getting to college was like a big step for me. And then getting to theater and like going out into the world. And so I just took it all very seriously. And I was yeah. like, I, if I'm going to be in New York, I'm not going to waste time. And so I was the guy that was like, let's make a team. Let's make 10 teams. Let's get on the NYC improv uh, page. You know, let's I'm yeah. on 15 teams on there. I'm feeling good. Um, and so I like ripped through the program. I think mm-hmm. I think I was all the way through the program. You know, it's funny at the time you're like, it takes forever. And it's like maybe. I was done with UCB classes within two years. Yeah, I was the same. Like when you branched out on your own, like outside of the classes, like what were like your priorities for like, was it like commercial work? Was it like starting your own like yeah. indie shows? It was commercial work. Right away. I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be on TV because that's where I saw money. And totally. and I I hate to think that I'm like such a money minded person, but I um, I was living on my own when I was 17. Um, and. I was start, I was starting to pave my own way when I was 15. Um, that's just the kind of the way that my family was. is like a very bootstraps, like pick yourself up sort of way. Yeah. Um, and so and money meant independence, you know, the less that you had to rely on other people if you ha- could work yourself. So uh, I worked all through college and that's just like what my mentality was. Um, and so I I looked at it as the more money you have or get paid, the less you have to work at a job so that you have more time to do the things that don't pay immediately, like development and stuff. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> by the way, like this sounds like, I feel like it always comes across very sharky when I say it. You know, I'm totally with you. And if I'm honest, I have a lot of that same mentality. Like, I like I don't know. It's, it's, it does, 
I don't think you should be embarrassed about that because the only people who aren't so money minded are the people who have it <laughs> and have always had it. It's true. That and I am a big proponent of like talk like people are like it's gauche to talk about money or like, you know, it's it's impolite. And I'm just like, no, like I want to tell you all of this because like everyone should know about how money works. <laughs> Absolutely. And the whole money is impolite to talk about conversation, I believe, is also based around um, uh, power structures trying to maintain an asymmetry of information. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I-, I need people to know how much we're all getting paid. In case there's a disparity of pay. Yes. And then we can deal with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The people who don't talk about how much money they're making is because they're like, don't want you to know because they're afraid it might get taken away. It's very rarely yeah. because they're embarrassed that it's so little. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's why like on sets, uh, that's why I enjoy SAG stuff where the rates are set. Like I like it when rates mm-hmm. are set or favored nations is great too. Um you know, the final season of Guy Code I did, uh, it was Favored Nations and everybody got paid the same. So Charlemagne the God and me made the same amount <laughs> for, for one. Just equal players, just same level of renown yeah. all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we were doing the same job. Um, yeah, for real. That's how it should be. But um, I, I forget how we... Oh, I wanted to ask you, because we were talking about money. Um, uh-huh. uh, where are you from? I'm from just north of Boston. Just north? North Shore of Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. Um, do, do you have, I'm going to, I don't want to assume too much, but do you have kind of like the I didn't grow up rich chip on my shoulder? Yeah, entirely. Like that is kind of my, I have a lot of stand-up jokes about it, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't grow up with a ton of money. We weren't like, you know, you know, out on the streets or anything, but like my family is like, my mom was a single mom. She worked three jobs when I was a kid. She was a mm-hmm. cocktail waitress at a strip club. Like I, I have this stand-up joke about how I had my fourth birthday party at a strip club because she got the place for free because <laughs> uh, she worked there as a cocktail waitress. <laughs> so like, yeah, she she was like basically yeah. So like, um, it's the kind of like we had tuna fish sandwiches a lot for dinner. Like you know what I mean? Like that was like. The, the vibe like yeah. a lot of tuna sandwiches yes. for dinner you, you don't you don't really know you're poor until you're nope didn't know until i was like 20 and didn't really really know until i moved to new york right is the thing like i mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. i didn't kind of understand until i got to college and i like went to like my friend's house for during the summer and she had like a pool and a tennis court and i was like oh and then i moved to new york and i like was like oh like um it is like that secret rich people thing that is like really shocking (laughs) but yeah yeah i think it does put a certain chip on your shoulder like you were saying it's funny also because rich people are um uh they're like embarrassed that they're rich but they don't know why they should be embarrassed they just know that it's like oh this yeah yeah, but they can't quite grasp why they're they're like well sorry you know it's been hard growing up rich too and you're like uh-huh yeah sure, okay sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. but i I, same, <laughs> I had a similar scenario i had a single single mom several jobs um mm-hmm. uh you know um didn't understand that it was because like you're you always look at somebody else and be like well that kid doesn't have a house so like so there's always somebody right you know but uh but i think i think you're right that it gives you I tell people as like, um, if you don't have connections with family, because you don't have like an in with the industry, you don't have mm-hmm. money. What you have is 
grit and uh, your story. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you unique and it gives you a perspective. And it is interesting to me, though, like those are the types of not that I'm saying like if you do come from money or you grow up really comfortable that you're complacent. But I think like there's a kind of like a fuck you attitude to to like wanting to prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I didn't get into everything I do now as a career until I was like 24. Like I went to college for communications. I had a whole like plan to like be a marketing manager at like a small company in like suburban Massachusetts. Like that was my like setup for my life because that was safe. (laughs) And like and I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, Mm. so, but then I, uh, blew it all up when I decided I wanted to do comedy and filmmaking. Uh, so (laughs) what made you, what made you decide to do that? Um, well, yeah, it, it, I was just very unhappy. Like I, I did, I graduated college. I got a marketing job. I did that for two, two years. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was pretty successful at it. Like I got, like I got a job, like just a couple months out of school, but I hated I was just very unhappy, like every day going to an office and doing that life. And then you just get home at 6 p.m. and you make dinner and you watch a couple of episodes of something and then you go to sleep and do it again. I just so I like really long and hard thought about like, what have I always like? What are the things that like I was doing before I even knew I was doing them? And it was like I did improv in high school um, and I did theater in high school. And I also like. Whenever given the chance to make a video project for, like, a school project, I would always choose video. If that was, like, you could write a paper or do a video, I would always choose video. And I was always very interested in film and stuff. So then I was, like, I think this is what I'm meant to be doing. And I think I just, like, listened to a bunch of people for the first 24 years of my life trying to be, like, oh, well, this is – there was, like, this mentality, and maybe you agree, of, like, people like us don't do that, like, when it comes to, like, creative careers. That was like my family's kind of mentality. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because um, that's actually one area where I I'll say I felt supported. I felt supported in the way that people are like, I'm pray I, I have part of your success because I prayed for you. And you're like, well, that doesn't really help me, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. where, where actually I, I didn't really encounter anybody that was like, you can't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was more like I encountered people that are like, um. I hope you figure it out. Like I, you can do it, but I hope you figure it out. So like, it's like uh, a lot of thumbs up, nobody being like, and here's a hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but a lot of like, uh, well, you're really funny, man. So cool. Yeah. Good. Cool. I, I, and then, and then it was so funny. Cause like when I first started to get on TV, people would be like, I always knew it was going to happen for you. It's like, no, you did it. Jack, you don't know how. <laughs> I mean, I went to bed hungry in New York, like in, in the 2010s. Like that's it's nuts that people go to bed hungry in New York. It's like that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, like my first two weeks in New York, I was homeless and like uh, um, didn't I was I was waiting on my first check from the job I had gotten. And so did not have food oh. like my my now in-laws bought me a, a big old case of Costco macaroni and cheese and a big old. <laughs> Uh, bag of like frozen vegetables and for two weeks I would eat one meal at night because I didn't have any way to bring it to work in like a container so oh, that's wow. what I that's what I ate and like 
So when people are like, I always knew it was going to happen for you. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's like you knew, like if you knew, why didn't you like get me like a, you know, a meal plan or something? <laughs> like if you had so much support. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. yeah. Invest Let, in my future. <laughs> it's it, Yeah. That's that was the fun. So like when when you like you know started to get traction and like you maybe booked that first commercial and then yeah. like maybe get that those first few confidence boosts whether it's getting on a house team at UCB or mm-hmm. getting that first couple of paid gigs where you're like filling up your bank account a little bit more mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like kind of bogged down by like are you the type of guy who ever like looks around at the people beside you and are like shit like I'm not doing enough like everyone else is outpacing me or are you uh, secure in your inner self? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much anymore because yeah. I used to think about success as a linear thing, which was the amount of work you put in equates to the amount of success that you have. Mm-hmm. And that success was a metric that was measured on a scale of like zero to a million. And, and it only went up or down. Mm-hmm. And, and that work was the same way. And that was just a really silly way to look at it. Uh, Like for a while, there was a time where I was like, oh, I want to be the star of a TV show where I want, um, you know, uh, to get a a Comedy Central special or something like that. Mm -hmm. And or I mean, the big one was like, oh, I would like to be on SNL. That seems fun. Um, And there were certain things that uh, happened like. Like every time you put yourself out there, you open yourself up for rejection or mm-hmm. um, or acceptance. They either like it or they don't like it. Or th- or the worst thing is they're indifferent to it. That's most of it. And um, I was like, look, the reason I'm going to succeed in this business is that I have I'm t- I won't go. I'm not going away. No one's mm-hmm. going to scare me away. I'm just going to keep trying and trying and trying. Yeah. And then after a couple times of. Getting rejected from like there was a time that SNL uh, like my manager was having me submit tape and then SNL said, we never need to see David Ebert again. And I was like, oh, wait. But I was like, that's oddly freeing. Yeah. Now I don't have to try to do that anymore. Yeah. And and then I was able to just invest in, and then I wasn't spending a huge amount of time every year trying to put together a character reel of like, okay, let me try to find the good impression and the good character. It was so, I don't know. I felt great. Maybe I'm just like trying to make, you know, uh, lemonade out of lemons, but I feel like not like, I don't feel like I'm comparing myself to other people's careers mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally think that you're right about that, like freeing aspect of it. Like, I had a similar experience even just with, like, the house system at UCB where, like, after, like, five years or so, I was like, you know what? This isn't for me, and they know it, and I just now found out. Like, so I was like, well, what Mm -hmm. am I good at? And I was like, I leaned into stand-up more and directing more and had great success with that after, like, years of trying to knock down a door that just I didn't have the key to, you know? And and that was great because it's changed mm-hmm. the whole trajectory trajectory of my career. And it's like those sort of unforeseen like outcomes. But 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 that's if it's your decision, that's that's yeah. the key. Cause this is all about gatekeepers. And you know, the thing if we consider our parents like the first gatekeepers, mm-hmm. 
um, I remember my parents were like, I, I, I talk about this a lot, how there's a day that you realize your parents are mortal, like they're not gods. Yes. But then there's a day also where you realize your parents are morons. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and I remember my parents were like, look, son, if you find a good job, you hold on to that job and never let it go mm-hmm. and never let it go, no matter how badly they treat you mm-hmm. until you die. And both of them got laid off from their jobs after like 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, and you were so wrong I was about like, that. Wait a second. <laughs> You're 20 years out in this job. You got treated badly the whole time. You never liked the job in the first place. And at the end of it, you have nothing. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're bad with money. (laughs) But yeah, I guess we were what we were talking about, like the unforeseen, like unforeseen outcomes of the you must do this advice. Like, what do you think about that sort of like idea? Like, have you had any experiences like that? Yeah. Um, In 2015, um, I. I had a producer I was working with on a commercial shoot who was like, do you have any, you're really funny. Do you have any ideas that you should make or you want to make? And I had been trying to pitch um, this combination of are you afraid of the dark and drunk history uh, that I was calling ghost story club. Um, I had written the first sketch of it in my 201 sketch class. And I was like, oh, I think this is a repeatable format. I should try to get this together. And so I got my other classmates together. I was like, let's do this. Let's write some scripts. And then they didn't. I was the only one that did. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll do it by myself. And I had pitched it to like Funny or Die. And I pitched it to, uh, I think Above Average was still around Mm -hmm. then. And they were both like, oh, we're working on something similar to this. I was like, okay, cool. Um, uh, which I've never seen. Yeah, probably they were <laughs> Um, and so the producer I was working with was like, he read the script. He's like, this should be a TV show. And he's like, we should make it. And you should give me all the money you're making from this commercial job to produce it. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. And I told my manager at the time, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a proof of concept of this and try to sell it. And she's like, that is the biggest mistake you will ever make in your career. <laughs> it is a total waste of time. It is not the way things get made. Do not mm-hmm. do this. And I was like, I think I'm going to do this. And so I did. I I spent $35,000, which at the time was a lot. And now is still a good amount. Still a lot. Yeah. 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 It was the entire money that I had made on that commercial campaign. Um, I got, um, I called in all the favors I could on it. So like, realistically, the budget would have been like 60,000. Um, now here's the thing. Now that I've produced a bunch of stuff, I realized that the producer I was working with took me to the cleaners and I could have made the exact same thing on like 15,000. Right. Um, but, uh, but I got, you know, Allison Rich and Arturo Castro and, um, George Basil. I got a really good cast to come in on it. And uh, Jared Lapidus, uh, that's how I met him. He's a great director, now very good friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it was done, I did a lot of work to also create a book and create the larger concept. Mm-hmm. And um, I almost had a deal with MTV with it. The deal fell through. Uh, and, and by the way, my manager, every step along the way, I don't have this manager anymore, but every step along the way, um, they were like uh, dragging their feet, completely unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Like the MTV meeting I got because I called 
uh, the people I knew there from working on Geico. And I was like, can I pitch something to you? Mm-hmm. I went and I pitched to those people and like got no response from them. And I, they're like, well, tell her boss. And and then I was like, I don't think that they told their boss. So I got their boss's phone number and called him and told him, do you know about my show? Yeah, I, I knew the boss. Right. Like, it's not like I was a lunatic. And he's like, no. And so then I pitched him and that's when I got an offer. It was a bad offer. So I passed. So um, my manager set me up on a general meeting with Super Deluxe. I just I didn't even bother with the general. I just sat down. I was like, here's a show I want to make. And they bought it. Um, and we ended up selling it to True TV. And I ended up selling the pilot presentation to air. So like, yeah, it made it like they, we didn't reshoot it. So I made money on the pilot presentation and I got the series. So like, and it's not like anything has come from it since then, like a little bit of stuff, but like uh, dead wrong. Yeah. The take was dead wrong from, from a manager that like I feared and deferred to on so many things. And I realized that a lot of these managers, a lot of people in the business period have a path Mm -hmm. of success. So they think it's the path Mm -hmm. of success. Yeah. And the best people I've worked with, the best agents, the best um, producers, the best whatever, are people that are like, here's what's worked for me, mm-hmm. but I also know I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the first things you said to me when we we had like a great conversation in, earlier this year in February. And that was like, you started the conversation just like with like, this is what like, I, you know, everyone who's good knows that they don't know shit. And I really like remember that. Uh, and it's so important to understand that. Like, I had a similar experience that was the opposite, where I was brought in to produce an independent pilot um, that my friend had written and wanted to direct, a first-time writer, first-time director. And um, we produced it, made a great piece, and then nothing happened with it. But it was not because nothing can happen when you make an independent pilot. It's just that it takes that tenacity and that grit of being like, my manager's not going to help me, so I'm going to call the people I know at MTV. They forgot to tell their boss or didn't feel like it, so I'm going to call their boss. And then knowing your worth to turn that down, and eventually, you know, it it worked out for what it was. Might not have been like a career like blast off point, but it's a big sort of win from something that maybe everyone was telling you wasn't going to be a win. I, I have to be fair to everybody in this story. I had to be told my yeah. worth. With the MTV thing. And that's where we're talking about the asymmetry of information, right? Because they offered me $2,500 for the pilot script. Um, and I needed, I didn't know what you get paid for a pilot script. And so I needed my my manager and I needed my lawyer at the time to tell me that's not acceptable, mm-hmm. right? This is what the normal price is. And the normal price was more than 10 times that. It was like around $30,000 for a pilot script. And I was like, okay. But I was also like, I really just want to get it made. But this is also the time that MTV was doing the middle of the night show and Nicole Byer show. And I saw them just drive them into the side of a cliff. Nobody was watching. The, they are mismanaged in their release. And I was like, yeah, oh, well, nobody's going to watch it anyway. Yeah. So I did end up going with True TV where also nobody watched it. But at least I got paid a regular rate. And at the end of and I had no supervision from the network, basically. Like I got to make exactly the show I wanted to make. I got to make it with absolutely. Mm-hmm. And our budget was like $2 million for the series. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I'm not going to yeah. turn that down. I mean, sometimes I um like, I think about like how you reconsider, like, what is it worth? Like, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. That's like, do I want to make exactly what I want or do I want to like, 
make some like arguably like you might say, wow, like MTV might be cooler than True TV, like in the thought of like my mom or like the general public. Right. (laughs) But like the when it comes down to the actually like making the thing that you want to make, like, is it better to have it at a place that's going to let you do you? And pay you what you're worth. (laughs) Obviously, it seems like you don't believe in the whole there's only one way to succeed idea. Like, and maybe you've learned that through many different experiences. But, like, if you're, like, talking to yourself, you know, maybe back, like, eight years ago, five years ago, what would you say to, like, yourself if you were, like, down in the dumps thinking that, like, you just didn't have the the next step in front of you. Oh, I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't say a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> probably just let that guy figure it out cuz um no no one can tell you the right thing. Yeah. Right? It just has to like hit you at the right time for it to make sense. And I mean, I guess the thing I wish I'd understood stood earlier is that um success is fluid. I uh, we talk about we're talking a lot about the word success. Just to be super clear, I do not consider myself successful. Right. I I do not. And I don't really think about it in terms of success. I don't think about it. Mm -hmm. The thing I think about is what do I want to make? And how do I get to make it? And that's like the full metric Mm -hmm. is me identifying projects I'm interested in and being like, okay, can I get somebody to give me the money to make this? And can I make it the best I can? Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I'm like, did I like that thing? I don't think about, did people really watch it? Yeah. It's nice when they do. I feel great when they do. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's no such thing as like a, a, a ladder that just goes up infinitely with success. You're just going into new. And that's the thing about people like us that are grittier. Um, we're almost, we're kind of like cockroaches. We're like. <laughs> Like a nuclear bomb won't destroy us. Like when when the pandemic hit and everybody was like, oh, no, I have no financial security and I don't know what I'm going to do next. And my my industry blew up and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, all these fears and anxieties you have. I'm a freelancer. I call it Tuesday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I've been experiencing this for the last six years. I'm I was built for this. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's why people like you and I are able to find work in this. Um, And. So if I were to be able to give up that sense of what success is and focus exclusively on who's going to give me a budget to make what I want to make, mm-hmm. I might have been able to make a little bit more than I did already. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe we should have started with like, how would you define like what success could be for you? Because I personally am like, I think it's different for everyone. For me, I'm more the type that's like, can I pay my bills? Am I happy? Mm-hmm. Am I making stuff that excites me? Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of baseline. Like, that's all I really need to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm like, being successful right now. Like, if I was, yeah. like, in a, a, you know, not able to keep a roof over my head, I think, you know, maybe that's not successful. But I, I think it's just a different definition for everyone. Uh, for, it is. Yeah. And, that, and, and the definition could really sculpt your relationship to happiness. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh like for me i'm a i'm a i'm kind of like a a smog type character a dragon that like hoards treasure but my treasure is the final product like the (laughs) final video so i love throwing things on my little pile of like here's another great video i was involved in right even if it was just writing or scripting everything i'm always that's the thing i'm checking in about isn't payment i'm checking in on the edits and the cuts and being like what does it look like can i see it yeah is it good 
you know? Uh, and and that's where I'm like a little gremlin that's like, ooh, this this is how I measure my success is the time I spent on a project and what the final product looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it can mess me up. <laughs> it can mess it can mess me up when I spend a lot of time on a thing and it comes out bad. I get really mad. But I think it's good because it's like you have a certain expectation of yourself because you know what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, every project is a roll of the dice. Even when you think it's going to be brilliant, it might end up being like kind of not not that spectacular. But then you just strive to do better the next time and you learn from it. I also find the opposite is true where like you're if I'll do the other projects and I'm like, I don't know how this is going to come out. And then it comes out way better than I could have dreamed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've had projects where like it got kind of started. Some roadblock came up and I had to put a pause on it. And then during that time. Like, I was just like, this this idea was shitty anyway. Like, we're not, fuck it. Like, just throw it in the garbage. That project will never happen. And then, like, two years down the road, uh, it's like, oh, you know what? Actually, I can't stop thinking about that idea. That idea was actually very good. I'm going to try again. It doesn't, yeah, like, that's what matters. Is if Even if it's just something you can send to people, share to people, you never know what something's going to get you. Um, you know, the way I think about the work with, like, uh, like, uh, you don't know if it's going to be good until it's done is like I think about I read a lot of children's books now because I have a three year old and a one year old. <laughs> and I'd say 90 percent of them I look at it and I'm like, I could draw this better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I was like, oh, the only difference is they started with a bad drawing, but they didn't stop till it was all colored. Like, yeah, I'm the type of person that like I'm like, I don't like how this is going. I'm going to throw it out. And I'm like, oh, no, just color it. And then like, yeah, you're, you already have something. I mean, if anybody out there has ever read the Pete the Cat books. They're drawn by a person who has never seen a cat and like also like has no sense of how to draw at all. And it, it's a huge franchise, like it ha- a million dollar franchise. <laughs> and the books aren't good. They're not good. My kids love them, but they're not good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, there's something to be said about just following through on an execution. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing what you're gonna. I get. mean, it's. It, I think a lot of the times it's not even. It's. It's not being able to see the forest through the trees. Like you're just so close to something, and you think it's garbage. I don't know how many sketches I've put up that I'm just like, this is trash. It's not funny. And then people <laughs> laugh, and I'm like, oh, okay, it, it's funny. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I um. I was on Characters Welcome, and I quit halfway through the cycle because I was like, I just don't feel good about the work I'm making. Mm-hmm. And then Characters Welcome's YouTube page blew up. And now one of the dumb characters I did has like 100,000 views. And I'm like, oh, wait, was it good? Was it good? And I just didn't. Yeah. Should I just have? No, I don't regret quitting because I also had a baby at home. And I was like, (laughs) it was hard for me to be like to my wife, like, all right, I'm going to leave for five hours a night so that I can um, work on a monologue is like a man that has had sex with a fish. (laughs) 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 Hard to justify but, that one to uh to, to the wife and kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do they pay me? Nothing. Uh, but they do give me really harsh notes on something I could do by myself at a bar. Mm-hmm. And you, you get you get two <laughs> drink tickets. Um. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's just interesting. Like, you know, sometimes you decide your priorities. Sometimes life decides them for you. Sometimes the industry will decide them for you. But like, I think the true like thing that can speak to your ability is like can you pivot can you try something new are you willing to are you willing to be the cockroach 
Yeah. As gross it may be sometimes. They're going to be around <laughs> at the end of time. Yeah. That's that's my thing. It's like, <laughs> the, you're, I'm going to be doing this forever. There's never a time that I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm moving to North Carolina and starting a an HVAC service. Because even if I went down there, it'd be like two months before I was like, okay, so I bought a camera and... <laughs> You know, I can't stop. It's impulsive. Yeah, exactly. I think I mean, at least from my perspective, having started out in that sort of regular life um, of like just having a full time regular marketing job and not having any aspirations of doing anything creative, like entertainment industry wise, realizing how quickly like when like within a year, I was like, this is not sustainable. I cannot live my life like this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, anyway, I am. I really, I really respect your your grit and hustle, and like, uh, I th- like, even just like checking out your website and or like seeing the things that you're posting about that you're working on. You just you um you open yourself up to so many opportunities to create stuff in all different disciplines, and I you know I think it's really admirable and a good skill set to have. Well, having two kids also opens you up to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta put the bacon on the table. <laughs> gotta put the, you know, like I'm doing a lot of stuff that's not funny, but I'm like, well, they pay me. Yeah. <laughs> um, same to you. Same to you. Thanks, man. you. You're always, you know, and uh, and and it's it's nice because the, the another thing I've really enjoyed over the years is creating this network of people like you, where I'm like, oh, these are other people who can get stuff done that I can work with and I can enjoy working with, mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, uh. What the saying about tides rising ships? What is it? Oh, um, the 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 rising Rising tides tides lift all ships. ships, I think. Yeah, let's Google that. (laughs) I gotta look it up because I don't want to be. I feel there's this uh, interview I saw years ago of John Cougar Mellencamp, and I remember he was like. Uh, I'm like that guy pushing the rock up the hill and I'm always pushing the rock up the hill. And he felt he was so smart for saying that. And then I remember the um, the interviewer being like, Sisyphus is what he was saying. And I was like, oh, he just dunked on John Cougar Mellencamp so bad because John <laughs> didn't know the name of the guy pushing the rock up the hill. And so um, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. <laughs> And so if we're all working and all and all thinking of each other, we're all going to work. Yeah, I think. Yes, exactly. And I'm a boat and you're a boat and, and we're both boat. boats. <laughs> um. So I guess to, to kind of wrap things up here, I mean. Uh, you know, we're in a weird time. Normally, I'd be like, what are you working on right now? Are there things you want to plug? Who knows if you got anything? If you do, let me know. But like, is there anything that like is exciting about this weird time for you right now? I'm having a great time. Yeah. I'm having, a, I'm, I'm having so much fun. I'm working on tons of stuff right Hell now. Yeah, man. Um, uh, as far as things that are plugging, I don't think of anything that's like coming out like immediately. I, I directed some Dunkin' Donuts spots that are going to come out soon and cool. uh, check them out, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, maybe go down to Dunkin', just support me. No, they don't <laughs> pay any better for that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, I, you know, personally, like I, I, it's, it's hard between the two kids and the jobs to write, but like, so I'm slower than I was, but I'm not stopping. Mm-hmm. Like now, instead of taking four days to write a pilot, it takes me a month, mm-hmm. which, which is a bummer. Cause I like to write faster, but, yeah. uh, you know, now I'm stealing two hours out of the day and I can't do a 10 hour writing session, but, 
Um, but yeah, things are exciting. And, and I'm really hoping that in the next couple months, I get to get another one of my projects, like a short film um, off the ground uh, and produced so that I can go back into the film circuit yeah. or um, or m- maybe crazy uh, get into feature territory someday. But thinking of those numbers scares me. It's exciting. I, I do weirdly think that um, this is the time. <laughs> to like a friend of mine has just decided she's going to shoot a feature that she wrote like during the pandemic and she, it's her it's her first feature and she's like fuck it I'm going for it and i was like you know mm-hmm. what yeah <laughs> yeah and if i can get my hands on about two hundred thousand dollars i will also similarly say fuck it yeah i believe in you if i had it i'd <laughs> give it to you <laughs> um well, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been great, Dave. Thanks for, for a great conversation. And um, I hope that you keep keep winning the pandemic, man, because it really seems like you are. <laughs> yeah, man. Spend all my time with my kids and get to work from home. Yeah. Don't have to take the train in to do a voiceover audition. It's beautiful. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Dave for a really fucking incredible conversation. Always a pleasure to talk to that guy. I always leave just like with my fucking brain wheels spinning, you know, like not not like a car's wheels spinning out, but like gears moving in a watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm good at analogies. Man, well, that does it for this week. I'm Angela Palladino. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at AngPal. Until next time, remember, I'm a boat. And you're a boat, and we're all boats. And we're all just floating around in this fucking stupid sea, (laughs) trying our goddamn best. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye!